If we haven't met yet, my name is Mark. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And before I jump into the message, I just have to say, I think Emily Souter is a genius. Thank you for doing that story. Wow, that was amazing. This is my favorite service of the year. And if you're here for the first time, if you're here as family, friends, if, if you've just maybe wandered in, don't know anybody here, if you're watching on line. I really want to greet you, and I'm so glad that we could be able to gather together tonight. I know that Christmas can be a time of fun and excitement. It can also be lonely. It can be difficult, and it can be stressful. And I hope that this service and this message enable you to experience the presence and the power of the Prince of Peace, our great King Jesus. So let's pray. Oh, Prince of Peace, we look to you and pray for your presence and your help now. Make yourself known and glorious. Amen. In his book, The Berry Giant, Kazuo Ishiguro tells the story of a place where this strange mist has settled over the land. And it's causing this amnesia for everybody who lives there. Now, People there rarely speak of the past. And in fact, even the events of just a few days ago seem to sort of fade. And so they're rarely spoken of. The, the main characters are this couple, an older couple named Axel and Beatrice. And they have decided to set out on a journey to try to find their son. But they don't really remember there very much. They, they can't remember why he's not there. And and did something go wrong? Did something happen? And, and there are points in their travels where they're actually not completely sure they even have a son. Did he, did he really exist? Is it, all a, is it all a dream? You see, the, the mist is affecting everything that they, they can remember from the past. And it's also affecting everyone in this fictional land. Some more, some affected less. But everyone is under the influence of this mist. As I was reading our passage from Isaiah 9 and thinking about it this, this week, it occurred to me that Ishiguro's story of a land under the influence of this mist, it's a little bit like the situation that we come into in Isaiah chapter 9. Only here, what Isaiah is telling us about isn't a mist that spread across the land. Did you catch what it was? It's darkness. It's darkness. Now, what is this Darkness. He says, the people walked in darkness, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Now, this darkness that Isaiah is telling us about, it isn't a literal darkness. The sun is still coming up every day. This isn't some sort of post apocalyptic world where the sun is dead. No, this is a moral darkness. In our passage, the darkness is the suffering brought about by war and oppression. Isaiah's people living 2,700 years ago, were suffering under the cruel armies of the superpower of the day. That was Assyria. And in verse 4, we're told that they're being treated sort of like they were working cattle. That's where they always, it would almost be like they had harnesses on their necks and whips and, and, and rods that were, were being used to beat them. It's, it's language reminiscent of Israel's experience of enslavement in Egypt hundreds of years before that. In verse 5, the picture is of war, tramping boots of an invading army, uniforms covered with the innocent blood of the victims. And so we might just pause there. This happened a long time ago. 
But does it sound familiar? Do we still in a, live in a world of oppression? A, wor a world where there are innocent victims of war? A, a world where there is this kind of darkness? Of course we do. But if we dig a little deeper, try to unpack and understand this darkness a little more, we find there's actually another element to it. If you were to go back and read Isaiah 1 through 8, you would find that there's a lot of darkness being generated, not by Assyria coming in from the outside. There's a darkness being generated by every person in the nation of Israel. They're superstitious. They're materialistic. They are arrogant. They're a nation of drunks. They are cruelly oppressing one another. They don't have to wait for Assyria to come to oppress one another. They're busy oppressing each other. And so darkness isn't just something that's happening to them from the outside. Darkness is something they're carrying around inside of them and they're bringing to each other. So they are not only innocent sufferers, they're also guilty sinners. Wonder if you can find yourself in that picture. Darkness not only around you, but in you. As I began to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, I began for the first time to become aware that there was more to me than just, I'm a pretty good person. I like me. There was this darkness that was emanating from inside of me. And the, the light of the gospel of Christ began to awaken me to that. Well, here we are on Christmas Eve talking about darkness. Thanks, Mark. This is a pretty cheerful message. I was kind of actually hoping for something a little more helpful in light on the night before Christmas. And there is hope here. I'm not going to leave you in the darkness tonight because the good news is this. Did you catch this? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. This passage is the story of light coming into darkness of joy coming into gloom and despair. This passage is like an Amazon box. It's been left in front of your door. And when you open it, there's nothing inside but light streaming out. It's a box of light. There is hope for freedom from all that is dark and evil and broken in our wor world. And how, how will that come about? Where will that transition from darkness to light occur? What will generate that light instead of this darkness? Who can bring an end? Stop and think about this. Who can bring an end to war? Not just a treaty, not just a truce, but an actual end to oppression. Who can bring an end to human trafficking and carjackings, to addictions and child abuse and greed? You know, we've had thousands of years of human history to eradicate these things and our track record hasn't been very good. There have been wonderful advances. There have been wonderful progress made in various ways. But the reality is we still live in darkness, don't we? And does anybody really think that some CEO, some president, some genius somewhere is going to arise who's actually going to be able to put an end to these things. Martin Luther King, you can see this saying in his memorial downtown. He said, darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so as we gather on Christmas Eve, we want to ask, where can we find that kind of love 
and that kind of light. This is an old problem. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and paradise, to a time when all was light and joy and there was no darkness. But human beings like us, our first parents, had a choice. Live in God's world, under God's authority, following God's rules, or stake out on your own, become masters of your own fate. And when they staked out on their own and became masters of their own fate, you know what happened? Darkness flooded into our world like a dam breaking and the downstream valley being flooded. So here in Isaiah 9, Isaiah is telling us, God through Isaiah is telling us his solution, God's solution to all that is wrong with the world. And did you catch what it is? God's solution to all that is wrong with the world is, drum roll please, a, thank you, it's a child. It's a child. Hear the word of God. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this is where Christmas comes in. See, the solution to the world's problems does not arise from within humanity, does it? This child is given from above. So at Christmas, we remember that God kept his promise. And 700 years after Isaiah wrote this, Mary gave birth to a son. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, he says that when those wise men that we just heard about in the story for the kids a moment ago, when those wise men from the east came, Matthew records that they came to visit, quote, the child and his mother, end quote. I wonder if Matthew was thinking about Isaiah 9 when he reminds us that this is the promised child. And what to name this child? Isaiah is going to help us with naming this child. Have you ever had to name a child? Naming children can be tricky. Our oldest son was born three weeks early and we weren't ready. And so a friend announced in church that Leslie had given birth, but we'd only had eight months to work on a name and we hadn't been able to come up with one yet. Well, Mary and Joseph had a had a little advantage here because the angel had told Joseph, call him Jesus. And so they did. But Isaiah teaches us that Jesus has four more names. Did you catch those here? To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Ponder that with me. Wonderful Counselor. His counsel, his wisdom is so astonishing. It's a source of wonder and awe. His counsel is so amazing, it leaves you awestruck. It is full of wonder. And his counsel isn't hidden and secret. It's contained in this wonderful book we call the Bible. So I want to encourage you, come and follow his counsel and live by his wonderful wisdom. 
He's the wonderful counselor. He's also, did you catch the second one? He's the mighty God. This child is divine. Jesus is God made flesh. And he's mighty enough to set captives free. And so I want to encourage you this evening, come and find shelter. Whatever storms are raging around you or in you, he's the mighty God. Come to rule and reign over you and protect you. He's the everlasting father. That's a strange one. This is Jesus, the son of God. We know that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How can Jesus the Son also be everlasting Father? Well, this isn't a, a name as, as in, in the Trinity. This is a description of the kind of person that he is. The kind of mighty God that he is. What this means is that as a compassionate Father would watch over and stand guard over and provide for his children... In the same way, Jesus is an everlasting father to all his children, to all the children of God. And hear this, you may, you may have had a good dad, you may have had a lousy dad, but whatever kind of fathers we have on earth, they're temporary, they're fleeting. We're all already fading away, but this father is everlasting. He never dies. And so his care never ends. Come and rest. Oh, tonight, who needs rest in the care of an everlasting father? Come find that in Christ. And finally, he's the Prince of Peace, which is the name I took for the title for this message because we live in a time of anxiety, don't we, and strife, time of anger and hostility. But here is the Prince of Peace and of the increase of his government and of Peace, there will be no end. You know, sometimes as we roll into Christmas, we get so busy with shopping, visiting and cooking and traveling, Christmas can leave us all stressed out. And if that's where you find yourself tonight, just stop and take a breath and hear this and ponder him, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. I come from a family of professional worriers and one of the ways that the manifestation of the kingdom has come to bear in my life is that though I still do worry I still do get stressed out the darkness of worry no longer owns me I'm not enslaved to it anymore because the prince of peace has come and there's a new king in my life if you haven't come to know the joy of that I hope you will. And if you're in need of that tonight, the Prince of Peace is here. This peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It's so much more than just a truce. You know, North Korea and South Korea, there's a truce of some kind between them, but they're not really at peace. This kind of peace is unity. This kind of shalom is wholeness and harmony and it comes because God gives us peace with him. We are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, through this child. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. But wait, you might say, there's a lot of darkness in the world. Isn't this overpromising? 
Isn't this really just a fairy tale, wishful thinking? And I would say in response to that, that's a reasonable observation and question. But we need to understand that God is actually keeping his promises and he's doing it as he so often does in stages. There's a now and there's a not yet. In Genesis 3, God promises an offspring to Eve who will decisively break the power of Satan and evil. In Genesis 15, God promises an offspring to Abraham who will bring blessing to the nations. In 2 Samuel 7, God promises an offspring to David to be on his throne and on that throne forever. In Isaiah 9, we find out that this child, Jesus Christ, is that son who will sit on David's throne and be there forever. And then we come to the Christmas story and we find that child born in Bethlehem is the offspring of Eve, the son of Abraham, the son of David, born to rule and reign and bring a kingdom that never ends. He would come as the light of the world, the light of the world stepping down into darkness. And in that darkness, he would die on a cross, giving his life in exchange for sinners like you and me. And did darkness win when he died on that cross? The light shines in the darkness, John says. And the darkness has not overcome it. So on that cross, do you know, for three hours in the middle of the day, it was pitch black in Jerusalem. Did the darkness win? No. On Easter morning, the sun rose and God the Son rose with it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He keeps his promises. And that's why we're here tonight, because God is keeping his promises promises. I hope you've seen this light. I hope you know the Prince of Peace in a personal and saving and decisive way. But if you don't, you know, if this doesn't really make sense to you, maybe you're in the same kind of place I was in when I first wandered into church and was trying to figure out what it all means. God has drawn you here tonight, and I want to encourage you to keep drawing near to him. And if you want to know more about this Jesus, well, we have a program called Christianity Explored where you can learn more about Jesus by reading his own words in a comfortable setting with nice people and dinner. Can't beat that. Starts on January 10th and meets on Wednesday evenings. If you want to know more, go to our website, look at the gift for, for guests that's, that's available or come talk to me. Be glad to give you more information. And church, I want to encourage you to bring Isaiah 9 into your Christmas. As you're opening presents, receiving presents, giving and receiving, let us take this experience of gift giving and allow it to lift our eyes to the greatest giver and his greatest gift. Ponder these words. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is... Can you hear it? given the greatest gift, amazing grace. The Prince of Peace has come given by the Father. He's come bringing shalom, giving it to all who will turn and trust in him. I hope you can live in 2024 in the light and the joy of the Prince of Peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God.
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Merry Christmas. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's solution to all that's wrong with the world is right here, right in front of us in Isaiah 9, right in front of us on Christmas Day. It's a child, and his name is Jesus. All glory be to Christ our King.